you, um, for those of you who are new, you're joining us here for the first time, you're visiting with us, just want to say a special welcome to you. My name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor here at Alliance Christian Fellowship, and uh, I'm excited to bring God's word to you here this morning. Uh, I know that uh, uh, you heard it in the announcements earlier, but uh, this is our last Sunday before we break for spring break, and uh, the, the two Sundays that sandwich spring break, we'll be joining our sponsor church at the State College Alliance Church for Worship. Uh, if, you're there for, if you're here in town for that, we would love to have you join us. But uh, how many of you are ready for spring break? Amen? Uh, you know, just, yeah, a bunch of, and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, some of your professors are trying to kill you before you get there. I get that. I, I, some of you are like, I'm dying this week, Dan. I need some prayer. I need some help. I get it. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I grieve and, and lament with you during this time. But spring break is coming. It's coming here soon. And uh, and, and today, um, as, as we look ahead, we also look back a little bit uh, to where we've come uh, that has brought us to this day. This morning, we're wrapping up a series, we're concluding a series that we've been in since the start of this semester called Teach Us to Pray. And for the last six, seven weeks or so, we've been working through the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father Prayer sort of line by line and spending some time unpacking this rich, rich prayer that Jesus taught us. And just as a a bit of a side note, friends, I got to tell you, it, it has been just tremendously encouraging to hear some of you give me some, some just real-time feedback and saying, like, I've heard many of you say, man, my, I, I've never really considered prayer in this way, in the ways that we've been talking about before. I, I, I've heard from some of you, you know, like, my prayer life has gone to new depths, new heights, new understanding. Like, I've never seen the Lord's Prayer in this light. And so that's not, you know, just to say, like, hey, what a great sermon series, but to, to hear the encouragement, like, that, that, again, I said it from the very beginning, and I still hold, this, hold to this conviction that I believe that the kind of church that Jesus is looking to build, Matthew 16, 18, if you know that verse, he says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not overcome it. I am fully convinced that the kind of church that Jesus is looking to build is not a cool and hip church. It's not a church with all the hottest and latest trends. It's not a church with all like the, the best music or the best preaching. I do believe that we have all of that, okay? I do. Uh, best worship I'm talking about. I'm the best worship team. Emily and the team, they do such a great job week in and week out and all these things, but I, at the end of the day, I really do. I believe that the kind of church that Jesus is looking to build, the kind of church that the gates of hell cannot overcome and will not overcome, is a praying church. Matthew 21, 13, Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. And so, what have we been doing for the last six weeks? We've been diving into prayer. In fact, uh, on, on Friday mornings, every, every Friday morning, we've been doing that as a church community, and, and, and it's been such a joy to kind of process through the Lord's Prayer in real time and pray through the Lord's Prayer, and, and that's just been such a rich time of prayer. And so if you haven't made it out to one of those, we got, we got one more coming up this Friday. We'd love to have you join us for that at 7 a.m. on Friday. But, but even beyond that, even beyond all of that, My hope is that we would learn not to attend a prayer meeting, but learn how to cultivate a life of prayer. See, it's one thing to attend a prayer meeting. I think think attending a prayer meeting is vitally important for the lifeblood, the lifeline of a church. I often wonder, you know, uh, the, the, the vibrancy, the validity, the 
you know, of, a, of an existing church, and I, I can't help but ask, but wonder, like, what's, what's your prayer meeting like? You know, some churches, they're like, we don't have one of those. <laughs> well, so then, when do you pray? Well, you know, the pastor opens up in prayer, and, you know, it's like, well, again, there, there's great value in prayer meetings, and I, but even beyond that, even for us, bringing it sort of home from a personal level, my desire, my hope for this series has been that we would become people of prayer, that we would cultivate a life of prayer, that perhaps even in the moments of the busyness of our lives throughout the day, we would just pause and stop to just pray. And, and, and I would encourage you, you know, there are days when perhaps you don't know what to pray for. Jesus gave us a great prayer to pray. Pray the Lord's Prayer throughout the day. I would encourage you to stay, and, and it takes all of like 60 seconds to just pause and just go through the Lord's Prayer and just pray this day to day. And, and, and listen, there may be moments, and I've had moments like this when I pray through the Lord's Prayer, and there's a particular part in the Lord's Prayer that just for, for whatever reason in that moment on that day, it just grabs my attention. It's like a, a, a like a, just a horn that rings in my soul that's just like blaring into my soul. And, and so what I'll do is I'll just stop there and I'll camp out on there and I'll meditate on that part of the prayer. Maybe it's let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just ruminate on that. I'll just marinate in that. Friends, let me just tell you something real quick. The goal of prayer is not to get to the end of prayer. The goal of prayer is to be in prayer. The goal of prayer is not to just get to the finish line and say, in Jesus' name, amen, hallelujah, now I go about my day. The goal of prayer is to be in prayer in the presence of God. And so sometimes when you're praying through the Lord's Prayer, there might come a point where God says, he just, he just hits the brake, and you come, you're like, okay, there's something here that I need to glean from, something I need to receive from God. And so, again, just, just lean into that in those moments. So, all that to say... We're bringing this sermon series that we've been in to a close here this morning. And for one last time, I want to look at this passage in Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me uh, there to the Gospel of Matthew. And as you're turning there, I'm going to invite Aaron back up to read today's passage for us. And we'll just spend a few moments looking at this last line of the Lord's Prayer together. And uh, the text will be up here on the screen as well. And uh, we'll see what God has for us here this morning. So... Hear the word aloud. This is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. Amen. The line we come to today is that last line in that prayer, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from Evil. Now, what I want to do for uh, this morning is I, I want to break this down into just two parts. I want to look at this first part, lead us not into temptation, and then we'll look at the second half of that statement, but deliver us from evil. But first, let's look at this line, lead us not into temptation. Now, when you hear that statement, 
you might be inclined to presuppose that, that God would somehow lead us into temptation. Uh, the way that Jesus words this part of the prayer is, is a bit peculiar, okay? Because it almost sounds as if God would lead us into temptation, and we're praying that he would resist the urge to do so. But that is actually not what Jesus is saying here. And the reason we know that is because in another part of Scripture, in James chapter 1, verse 13, we read this. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. By the way, just a, just a quick helpful hermeneutic tip. Okay, some of you are like, Herma what? Hermeneutic. Hermeneutic is, is, is the word. Hermeneutics is simply references the, the study of biblical interpretations. That's what hermeneutics is. So the principles, the approach, the methodology of, of interpreting the Bible is the work of biblical hermeneutics. And believe it or not, whenever you read the Bible, you are doing biblical hermeneutics. You're doing biblical hermeneutics. In other words, when we read scripture, we're trying to interpret scripture through our modern day lens to understand what the scripture is saying, what the text is saying to us, to see what the author intended, to see what the original audience would have thought and how they would have received these words. Those are questions of biblical hermeneutics, the process of interpreting scripture. And the best filter to use to interpret scripture is, believe it or not, scripture. Scripture is the best filter to use when interpreting Scripture, and that's because the Word of God will never contradict itself. Rather, the Word of God will always support itself. The Word of God will never, Scripture by its very own nature cannot, I will go as far as to say cannot, contradict itself. If the Bible, think about this, is the written Word of God, you know who God is? God is full of truth. He does not lie. In other words, it's not within God's nature to lie. Then we must conclude that the written word of God, the Bible that we have in our hands, is all true and cannot contradict itself. Now, some would argue, the Bible is full of contradictions, isn't it? I heard Joe Rogan say that not too long ago. Isn't the Bible full of contradictions? How can you trust the Bible when it's full of contradictions, right? Like, and some, maybe some of you at various points, you're like, the Bible is full of contradictions, isn't it? And I would say, no, Joe, it's not full of contradictions. The Bible is not full of contradictions. Now, it may appear that way at first, but upon further biblical hermeneutics, you begin to discover that, as one of my pastor friends once put it, I love the way he put it, the Bible contains many paradoxes, but no contradictions. The Bible contains many paradoxes, but no contradictions. He says it this way. A contradiction requires two statements that say the opposite. For instance, it is raining and it is not raining. That would be a contradiction. The two cannot exist as true statements simultaneously. It's either raining or it's not. That would be a contradiction. Now, it is raining and it is sunny is a paradox. At first, those seem to be contradictory, but upon further consideration, it is possible to be both rainy and sunny at the same time in the same place. Jesus being fully God and fully man is a paradox, not a contradiction. God, one God in three persons is a paradox. It's not a contradiction. God's sovereignty and human responsibility is a paradox, not a contradiction. And he goes on and he says, 
An unresolved paradox results in mystery. And God seems to enjoy leaving some mysteries for us to discover at a later time. I love that. You see, the Bible is full of mystery. It's full of paradox, but it's void of any contradictions. And so going back to lead us not into temptation, that was a long rabbit trail, forgive me. Going back to lead us not into temptation, going back to that line, we have to conclude that based on James chapter 1, verse 13, and based on good study of biblical hermeneutics, we, we, we got to conclude this cannot mean that God would somehow lead us into temptation whereby we are pleading with God, oh God, don't take us there, as if we're some kind of child being dragged into the dentist chair. Oh God, don't take us there, right? Like that's not what Jesus is getting at here. So what is Jesus saying? with this part of the prayer. Well, first, the word temptation here can also be translated as a trial, a hardship, or a challenge in life. A trial, a hardship, or a challenge. When you think about temptation, is that not what it is? It's those moments when we are faced with a trial. It's those moments in life when we're faced with hardship or a challenge in life. Friends, I wonder... If you've ever faced a challenge in your life recently, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of a dumb question, Dan. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder how many of you have found yourself in a season of hardship before. Perhaps you're in one now. You're experiencing some level of hardship in one way or another. Have you recently gone through any trials of any sorts, any trials of any kind? You see, in this part of the prayer, Jesus is acknowledging something that is true of every single human being on earth, every single person in this room, every single person outside, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter your faith background, you might be a strong believer in the faith, you might not have any faith in God at all, but if you are living, breathing human being here on earth, this is true of you, and this is true of me, to steal from the words of Jesus in this life. You will have tribulation. In this life, you will have trouble. Translation, life is hard. Life is hard. A clothing company, life is good, is full of crock. You know, that's like life is good. Has been lying to us this whole time. That little stick figure guy sitting on a beach chair, sipping a margarita, is entirely deceiving and misleading. Life ain't good. Life is hard. Hard. Can someone say amen this morning? Life is hard. Life is hard. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of living through that right now. You know, like right now, life is hard. It's not easy. Part of the human experience. We got to understand this. We got to have this sort of in our framework. Part of the human experience is to endure the hardships of life. No one gets through life unscathed by trials and hardships. I've never met a human being that has gone through life free of any hardships or trials of life or the challenges of life. Life is hard. And when life gets hard, here's the thing, friends. When life gets hard, most of us go to one of two places. We either hide or we control. We either hide or we control. When life gets hard, for some of us, our tendency is to run and hide. I don't know if there's anyone in this room that that fall into that category. This would be me. When life gets hard, my tendency is to run and hide. When we get easily overwhelmed by the trials of life, we shrivel up 
And we go into hiding and we escape into these dark crevices and these holes in our lives that we have created for ourselves. And this ultimately becomes a form of paralysis. I wonder if you've ever been there or you've been hit by life so hard that you feel paralyzed to do anything and all you can do is just hide. That's one, that's one way that some of us handle the hardships of life. On the other hand, you got folks who try to take control and fix everything. Their knee-jerk reaction to the hardships of life and the trials and the difficulties of life is not to run and hide in a hole somewhere, but it's to solve it by taking control and trying to fix it and take matters into their own hands. They feel the urge to eliminate any trials by taking issues into their own control and frantically, out of this anxious spirit, they try to fix everything by seizing control. For many of us, how we respond to hardships oftentimes lands in one or, one or maybe even sometimes both of these categories. It is to hide or to control. And Jesus comes along and he offers us a better solution. He tells us to, number one, pray. Take a breath and pray. Don't hide. Pray. Don't control. Pray. When life hits you hard, whether you're faced with a hardship or temptation, either or, pray. That's the best possible response we can have when life gets hard, pray. But number two, pray that Jesus would lead you. Pray for the leadership of Christ. Pray for Christ's leadership in your life. Don't miss this. Jesus teaches us to pray. Lead us. Lead us. You see, what we need most in our moments of greatest temptation, in our seasons of greatest trials, is the leadership of Christ. Another way to sort of word this part of the prayer would be like this. God, lead us well through any and all temptations. God, guide us well through any and all hardships. God, take us through any and all trials and tribulations that I face on this side of heaven. You see, prayer is about taking Jesus by the hand and letting him lead us in our times of greatest need. The truth is, when we hide or when we control, we are effectively placing ourselves in the driver's seat. We're the ones leading. I mean, with control, it's obvious to see, right? Controlling spirits, you can clearly see that you're the one taking hold of the situation in hopes to lead yourself right out of the challenge. You're leading yourself, but even with hiding, it's a form of self-leadership. You set the standard for how and when you want to deal with the challenges of life. You're in that hole, and then you peek out, and you're like, oh, not safe. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to come out. You set the terms for when and how you deal with the trials and the hardships of life. Even with hiding, it's a form of self-leadership. You're still the one in the driver's seat. Prayer, prayer, prayer in the ways that Jesus would have us pray is about giving up the driver's seat and letting a much better leader lead our lives. And that's Jesus, the good shepherd of your soul and my soul. Do you know that he knows how to lead your life far better than you know, you know how to lead? He knows how to lead your life far better than you can. The shepherd of your soul can care for your soul in far better ways than you can through any difficulties and any trials. And so we pray, lead us. Pray for Christ's 
leadership. Lead us through, lead us through, lead us through all and any temptations that we might face, any trials that we might face. So lead us not into temptation. But, But Jesus goes on and he says, he adds on this, but deliver us from evil. Now some manuscripts say, deliver us from the evil one. Not just deliver us from evil, but deliver us from the evil one, which is interesting because now we have personified evil and we've given evil a name, the evil one, also known as the prince of this world, also known as the deceiver of the brethren, also known as the enemy of our souls who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, also known as the father of lies. We're talking about the devil, Satan himself. Jesus in this moment is letting us know that this evil one is at work in the world today. Now, most people in our world today, if we're, being, if we're taking a, a quick survey of our, of our societal landscape, most people in our world today can get on board that there's a God. Even, even atheists, even agnostics, they're like, okay, I might not believe that there's a God, but I can get on board that there are people. It's completely reasonable and logical that there would be people that believe in a God. The notion of belief in God is not foreign, it's not, it's not outlandish, it's not outrageous. Most people have a hard time believing that there's a devil. And I'm not even just talking about atheists and agnostics or other religions Even inside the church, there are groups of people who just, they they believe in God, I'm just not sure I believe in the devil. I believe in God, I'm just not sure that there really is an evil one. We have a hard time, whether Christian or not, we have a hard time wrapping our head around the evil one. In, In fact, the devil has more or less become a kind of caricature that we just sort of have fun with now in our culture. It's just become sort of this caricature. For example, if you've seen Sam Smith's performance at the recent Grammys, I don't, I don't recommend you watch it, uh, but, but you, you, you know what I'm talking about. His, his performance of Unholy is about what we perceive as the devil. Like when we think about the devil, it's like, yeah, that, that's, just, that's, that's an accurate portrayal of, of the devil. Which, by the way, I don't know how you cannot believe that there's an evil one with songs like Unholy and with the celebration of performances like Sam Smith's performance. Uh, I, I just, I, I, don't, I have a hard time believing that there is no evil one when those things exist. Now listen, I, I'm not trying to sound ultra conservative or prudish or anything like that. If you're a Sam Smith fan, God bless you. I'm not, I'm not condemning you, okay? You're loved by Jesus all the same, okay? I'm not, that's, not, that's not what this is about. Uh, it's not like I got my head in the sands or anything like that. But, but listen, as, as people of God, I got to wrestle with this in my own soul. And I think, I think if you are a professing follower of Jesus, we, got, we just have to wrestle with this. I just don't know how we can say in one breath, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy is your name, and simultaneously celebrate something that is clearly unholy. I just, I, I don't know how to reconcile those two. And, and I think as people of God, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be like, oh, you know, like, you're against secular music, like, or whatever. It's, that, that's not what this is about. The, 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 when we look out into the world, we've got to have a biblical framework, a biblical standard by which we see life with. And so we look at 
things that are happening in our world today, and we say, okay, like the Bible seems to be clear that there is this evil one, and I'm experiencing these things in this life. Like, how do, how do I reconcile those things? And so, again, there are many people in our world today that just have a hard time believing that there is an evil one, that there's this devil or this Satan running around. Like, who, they, we just can't believe that there's... But if you notice, all throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture, from Old Testament to New, we see the devil being referenced, powers of evil and demonic forces being recognized. Much of Jesus' ministry was occupied with casting out demons. I mean, what was he doing if they weren't real? You know, it's like, what was he, a magician? Like, it's like, okay, guys, convulse now. You know, like, it's like, no. Like, what Jesus was legitimately battling against demonic forces, against principalities of darkness. And so even right here in this prayer, Jesus is recognizing that evil is real and the evil one is at work. And you want to know the kicker? The enemy of your soul knows exactly when to attack. Did you know that? The enemy's smart. Now, I don't want to give him too much credit, but he is smart. The enemy of your soul knows when to attack. He knows exactly when to strike. And believe it or not, when the enemy shows up, he doesn't come with fire and hell, with red blazing flames. He doesn't come with horns and pitchfork in hand. He doesn't come to you with all these horrifying images that our culture likes to portray. Did you know that the moments we are most susceptible to the attacks of the enemy is in our moments of greatest temptation and our greatest hardships? When we're enduring the trials of life, those are the moments when the enemy slips in and he starts planting seeds in our soul. He knows exactly when to work. He knows exactly when to strike. We see this, in fact, in the earlier chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. You don't need to turn there. Where Jesus is being tempted by the devil. You remember this in Matthew chapter 4? In the opening verses, he's led out into the desert, and, and, and Jesus is fasting for 40 days, 40 nights, and in that time, the devil comes as he's fasting and praying, as he's enduring human hardship and human trials in that moment, the devil tempts Jesus in the season of great trial and hardships. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but rather deliver us from evil or the evil one. You see, friends, these two statements are more intimately connected than you know. What Jesus is saying here is when you are faced with a temptation of any kind like Jesus was, when you are faced with a trial of some sort or you're in a season of hardship and difficulties, be aware because those are the moments when evil is at your doorstep. Genesis 4, 7, sin is crouching at your door and his desire is for you. Be aware. And so what does Jesus prescribe? In this moment, he says, pray then for deliverance. Pray for Christ's leadership, and then pray for Christ's deliverance. Deliverance, friends, is a form of protection. 
If you don't know this, it's God's divine protection over our lives against the schemes of the evil one. At the end of the story in Matthew 4, after Jesus is tempted and he has a sort of showdown with the devil in the desert, what happens? At the end of that story, after the enemy tempts Jesus in the desert, we find that the angels come and deliver him and the Holy Spirit comes and delivers him and ministers to him and consoles him. When God delivers us, he protects us. God's deliverance is our protection. You want to know the truth, friends? I know this to be true in my own life, and I know this to be true in your life. We cannot fight sin on our own. We're just not strong enough. Some of you are like, yep, I'm with you. I'm with you. I know, I know. I've tried. I've tried fighting sin on my own. Whatever sin that might be, I'm not going to name it for you. You can name it for yourself. But you know deep down inside, and I know deep down inside, we cannot fight sin on our own. When we're faced with temptations of any kind, most of us are just not strong enough to overcome on our, on our own. When, when we face trials of any kind, we cannot overcome on our own. We need the deliverance of God to guide us, to protect us, to lead us through in those moments of great weakness. As the Apostle Paul once put it, for when I am weak, what does he say? Then I am strong. But it's only because Christ's power is made perfect in my weakness. And so we pray. We pray. Lead us. We pray for Christ's leadership. Oh, God, I, 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 I'm done sitting in the driver's seat. Lord, I need you to lead my life because you know how to lead my life far better than I know how to lead my life. And so I need you to lead me through any and all temptations. And so we pray, lead us. And we also pray, deliver us. Deliver us. We pray for Christ's deliverance. We, 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 we ask that you would lead us when life gets hard. Deliver us when evil is crouching at our door. Oh God, keep us far from sin and keep us close to you. Oh God, keep us far from sin and keep us close to you. Friends, that would be a prayer worth committing to memory right there. Oh God, keep us far from sin and keep us close to you. Because that is exactly what Jesus is getting at when he teaches us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us. Deliver us. We live in a world where those two prayer prompts will lead us into a kind of, 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 of life path that will be one where we recognize everything that we prayed up to this point. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we come with needs, and so give us, provide for us in the ways that you know how. And Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lead us through all hardships of life. When life hits us, I don't want to hide. When life hits us, I don't want to control. I don't want to seize control and take matters into my own hands. When life hits us, I want my instinctive response to be, oh God, lead us. Deliver us. God, I need your leadership. God, I need your deliverance. God, I need your protection. The enemy of your soul prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I don't say that to alarm anyone. I don't say that to scare anyone. I say that to say the, the very thing that Jesus seems to be trying to communicate here. Evil is real. The evil one is at work. And you need his deliverance. You need his leadership in your life. If you've got any shot at going through this life 
with hope, with joy, with peace in your pocket. So as the worship team comes forward, I want to invite all of us uh, to just stand in just a moment. And what I want us to do as we, as we bring this series to a close is I'd love for us to recite the Lord's Prayer together. I like to, to make this sort of our corporate prayer as the body of Christ this morning. Christ has taught us these words to pray, and uh, it, it struck me this week that uh, we, have, we have yet to pray them verbatim as a corporate body together as a church family uh, in our services up until this point. So I thought a good way to conclude the series would be simply by praying the Lord's Prayer aloud in one voice. And so, um, and so we're going to have the prayer up on the screen, and... Um, and by this point, you should have this prayer memorized. We've, been, we've only been reading it aloud for the last seven weeks. But, uh, you know, this, we'll have the, the, the text up here on the screen, the, the Lord's Prayer. I've also included that last line that's not reflected in Matthew's account or Luke's account, but uh, was later added on by, um, by the church. But it's a good, powerful line nonetheless. Uh, for yours is the glory, the power, um, forever and ever. Amen. But at this time, um, I want to invite you to stand to your feet if you don't mind. Just go ahead and stand. And as we pray this prayer, uh, we're going to take it nice and slow. Because again, the goal isn't to rush and, and to try to get to the end of the prayer. The goal is to pray. The goal isn't to get to the end of the finish line of prayer. The goal is to be in prayer Again, like when we, when we opened up the this, this, this service, we said, Lord, we want to posture our hearts before you. So that's what, that's what prayer is, posturing our hearts before God and engaging with God in his presence. So the goal isn't to get to the end of the prayer. So I, I, I want to encourage you to, to, as we pray through this nice and slow, I would encourage you to pray these words from your heart. Don't just, don't just read them. But, but I, I would exhort you to, to make this prayer, your prayer to God this morning as we read the, together here real slowly. In fact, Holy Spirit, in this moment, would you quicken our hearts now to the words of this prayer that Jesus, you taught us. Allow our hearts to connect with the prayer and the words that, that which Jesus taught us as we've spent the last bunch of weeks studying this prayer line by line, God, we now want to pray this back to you. So church, together in one voice, let's pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. And everyone said, amen. Let's sing together.